Blog Talk Radio.
welcome, excuse me, welcome once again to our weekly internet program. I'm your host, Minister Joy Lewis, and I got a little choked up there just listening to all the patriarchs, all the uh, uh, men and women in black history, various colors, how they contribute to uh, to this nation, uh, to a country, to a people. You know, our title of our show for the second week is Black History is Your History. And, you know, I want everybody to be involved in this here, you know, because a black history is your history. The black man, the white man, the brown man, we all are interwoven now today. And I want to thank my co-host for coming on the line this morning. We're going to talk about black economics. And we're going to do a series on black wealth here. So we're going to talk about that because black history is your history. And, you know, we have lived long enough to realize that our money don't stay in our neighborhood. We live long enough to know that that once we get our paycheck, it only stays in our pocket and in our possession only a few hours. Just think about it. When you get your money, when you get your biweekly or weekly paycheck, once you pay your bills, your money is gone. It's it's gone somewhere else, cross country, cross town, on various bills, various obligations, paying back debt, and then you find yourself broke again. Do you imagine what your money is doing when it leaves your possession? It's accumulating wealth for someone else. Someone else is, is taking the money that you worked hard for and using it to build up their own neighborhood, to build up their own wealth. I want us to be mindful of that. Borrowing money at high interest rates, those things, they they tend to hinder you. They tend to hold you back. That's slavery right there. That's an economic slavery. Not uh, supporting black-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses. You're keeping people and yourself in bondage, economic slavery. We love our cars. We love beauty uh beauty items, but just think about how many people of minority that you know, black minority, I'm talking black, black company, that own tie shops. We love our car, we love our rims. What about, uh, just what about car washes? I'm talking about stuff that we're familiar with. You know, and what about nail salons, beauty salons, black-owned businesses? I know uh, barbershops are more uh, uh, we're we're more aware of those than we are at the uh, at the car washes and the tie shops, you know, because black, being uh, black, black barber shops and beauty shops are very popular, very noteworthy. But it could be more. And then we don't have any younger people that's coming up that wants to learn those skills and work in that in that industry. We're not bringing up our young men and women. To carry on with the vision and the dream, but I digress now and let uh, I have my co-host on the line this morning, and we're going to talk about that today. I will uh, our topic is talking about black wealth, and we're going to shift from that. But what but we're going to talk about black wealth at this time. The next voice you'll hear will be Richard Daniels on the line. And before Brian Richard, I would just like to say hello to everyone. And our calling number is three one zero nine eight two forty one twenty six. You two can call in and join the conversation and add your voice to it. But black history is your history. Good morning, Brother Daniel. You're on the net. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you, Reverend Lewis. How you doing this day? 
I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I was just listening to uh, a, a song that was being played there by Stevie Wonder, man, and I got a little choked up because I thought about all the things that I grew up listening to as I became a young adult and all the inventions and things that we had to contribute to this society and the world as a whole. And I feel like that I was lost because I didn't see those things that being manufactured and been developing my life at that time. Yes, I was able to go to school. Yes, I was able to do some things. But there was something missing, that, and that black agenda was missing in our culture. We get bits and pieces of it, but it's not full-fledged like it ought to be. You know, I wonder what my grandson have to look forward to. What does his son have to look forward to, his daughter have to look forward to? Yeah, you know that when that song first came out, Rebel Lewis, you know, Stevie Wonder put that song out. And he caught a little flack behind it because it wasn't anybody that really had the initiative or basically, I would say, the nerve, the order to post or put out a tune that would glorify blackness and our history. You know, and and, and if you look at it... uh, uh, Stevie is an activist. Uh, he uh, he was one of the main ones that really got Martin Luther King's day into effect. You know, yes, and so when you look at him, you look at the way he's uh, uh, emphasizing every one of those black inventors and and, and uh, uh, black entrepreneurs and and uh, black uh, you know everything. You know he and then at the same time, I look at it. He also. Put extra, you know, uh, Oriental people in there, you know, and he put some Mexican people in there because, you know, we all like a melting pot of uh, many races. You know, uh, the black race not only consists of a black, but we are mixed with almost every race in the world. If you look at history, we are mixed with every race around our globe. You know, you got people who are black Koreans, you got black in, Indians, and really the Indians um, are, are, were are really uh, mixed with us because basically we, you know, we are kind of along with them. And it's got something to do even with this uh, tale we're going through right now with uh, 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 Black Wall Street, you know. And so... Uh, I'm gonna let you go on and say something a little bit about that. I'm not gonna go, go too far about what we're trying to say, but uh, we are a mixture of many people, you know, and our blood is almost a royalty. We are blood, the blood of royalty, you know, and for us to be uh, put on the back burner and put. Uh, I would say we would we're getting neglected, you know, because you know, I, when I look at America now, I see a lot of more people coming to America, and they're bringing their, some of their ideology, they're bringing some of their religion, they're bringing some of their uh, beliefs. So they're bringing and, and basically when they come over here, basically we if we don't really stand up for what we fought for and what we died for, uh. I don't see uh, we 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 gonna have to have to fight. We want the fight gonna have to start back up again. You know what I'm saying? If we don't, we're not gonna let it die with Martin Luther King, and we, it's it's gonna have to move up. We're gonna have to have more youth and more people 
get involved in politics, uh, are not only, you know, singing and dancing and football and basketball, we're going to have to have people in the political field basically to, to, to keep the dream alive, you know? Keep the dream alive. You know, Mother King had a dream, but it seemed like somewhere we kind of went to sleep, you know, because we got too comfortable. You know? And that is, that and, is so true, though, Brother Dane. Yeah. That's so true. That's why, you know, uh, as I was reflecting on this here time of year, and every day is Black History Day in my life and my, in, in my culture because I did try to deal with uh, with black agendas on a regular basis, you know, because the world, you know, because that's the world that I know for right now is mostly with the uh, black people. And we cross, so I'm saying we're dealing with business-wise, but I realize that I can't do this alone. I realize that I have to support black-owned businesses. I have to support the black agenda. And it seems like that we have lost our way with the violence and, and the incarceration and the homelessness. That's what I deal with. And not only with the homeless, I try to meet men and women where they are and they say, hey, you could do better. There's places, there's, there's agencies, and there's programs to help you get out of this situation. Even in the incarceration, I say, hey, you don't have to live like this. You can get a job. You can, uh, you know, you can be a blessing to your family because when you're incarcerated, when you're homeless, your loved ones are going through the same thing. They worry about mama and daddy and uncle and brother and cousins. They're concerned about them, whether they're in jail or on the street. If they live in a life that's a... Uh, 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 that's not uh, uh, that's not uh, honoring God. They worry about those. They concerned about those or uh, those loved ones. So we all being held hostage by uh, by the plight of our uh, relatives and friends and the society. You know, I, I, it breaks my heart when we were younger that, uh, that a lot of the old patriarchs that owned the stores that they they died and their kids when they were to manage the stores like their parents were, that other people came in and they bought the stores and, and they had some of the same items and products, but the prices had changed and the uh, relationship with the with the community had changed. With the customers, yeah, changed, yeah. Yeah, you know, they, 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 they wasn't that friendly, they wasn't that friendly, they wasn't that friendly business owner anymore. It was strictly uh, mom business. And pop, the mom and pop shops, you know. Yeah, the mom and people pop liquor stores and the mom and pop thrift stores, you know, and all throughout the neighborhood, they basically they took the place of when we had a lot of black people that had own businesses. Yeah, but some kind of way, laundry man, some of the banks probably in on the money, you know. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And you know, and and, that, and that, then we they then we found out the money that they were we didn't, well we realized that the money that we were spending with them it didn't we didn't hold any value to them in their outside as a customer. It either yeah. pay up or shut up, buy something or move around. You know, so wait a minute, I'm just uh, here no. looking. You know, oh uh, yeah, I'll put you it know, like this: no refund, no refund, no refund. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we were talking uh, about it yesterday, but you know, when you know, we go out and you buy something, one in the store, and then you come back. I want my no refund, no refund, no, you know, no yeah. refund. I say, stay, man. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, how they, you gonna honor me as being a customer when you don't, when you don't want to, you know, put a, a, a guarantee on your product? Yeah, you know, that's, because, but that's the way they let them go on. They, in fact, they wrote a, they wrote a new uh, rule. For them, they got supported by you know the city you know, councils and the and the and uh, uh, I can't what they call the the merchants, the merchant community 
they supported them. And so basically it made a lot of people mad, you know, and there was nothing we could do about it. You had yeah. to live with it. Yeah, but one thing we so, do about it uh, is now, 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 the subject we are going to talk about right now, uh, uh, Brother Jody, uh, is about uh, Black Wall Street. Now, this is what this got a lot to do about what we're saying right now, talking about getting your money, keeping your money with the black people, letting your money uh, move around in your community. And it was said that uh, Black Wall Street, the dollar exchanged itself over 16 times uh, in a month before it went out, you know, to other communities, you know, other, you know, minorities, you know. And and, and if you look at it, you, your money has to exchange hands several times and it builds an interest rate between the people that you're familiar with. You know what I'm saying? Instead of you going out and you find this guy that's charging 8% interest, 16% interest, you know, and, and it's a highway robbery. You know, you getting you getting you getting uh, bamboozled. Yeah, you know, you get you getting shafted. And, and you know, and uh, <clears throat> the Black Wall Street was formed by uh, um, a man. His name was O. W. Guthrie, and he started in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he bought forty acres of land in Tulsa. Naming it Greenwood after a town of Mississippi where he came from. And uh this this land was kinda like uh it was set aside for the Indians. But Mr. Gully had insight to know that if I was going to buy this land, I could use it and develop it. And uh it was you know and once he bought this land he, he built up boarding houses. They built up hotels. They built up restaurants. Uh, he, he built a 55-room luxury hotel, burned his name. And it was the largest black-owned hotel in the country, you know. And uh, it became a self-contained and reliant community. And um, they also had a newspaper, a black newspaper, you know. And um, this newspaper reported a lot of things was happening around. Uh, this man that I bought this uh, newspaper, his name was Shufford, Stratford, Mr. Stratford. He was another guy that came in with, with a little money. He invested his money. And on Greenville Avenue, there was shops and restaurants and grocery stores, hotels, jewelry and clothing stores, movie theaters, barbershops, saloons, and a library, pool hall, nightclubs, doctor's office, lawyer's office, dentists. And then you know, he had his own school system and a post office and a saving and loan bank and a hospital plus bus and taxi service. Can you imagine that, Reverend Lewis? You having a uh, then you had your own people now. You know, like uh, we have some of these jobs. There's a lot of people right now don't want to work. They call them mental jobs, like the the janitor jobs and the dishwasher jobs and the porters and the domestic. But still, our people did it. 
but they got paid good to doing it. You know what I'm saying? They didn't just, just give you anything they had. They got paid good, you know? So it was like a uh, uh, a community incident itself. But if you look at it, the devil raised his ugly head. You know what I'm saying? It brought in envy, envy and uh, jealousy through the white people, through the Ku Klux Klan. You know what I'm saying? It was a resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, it said Oklahoma is a real prejudiced place because, you know, they had a lot of lynchings and stuff in 1900, 1919, 19, all the way through. And then this... Uh, this riot started in 19, let's see, it started in 1921 when a 19-year-old um, shoeshine was accused of attempting sexual assault of a 17-year-old white elevator operator named Sarah Page, and it angered the people. And, you know, when people are already mad, it don't take much for them to get mad, especially uh, 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 Caucasian people, you know. And then they all gather together, and they all, you know, they start meeting at nighttime, and they start rousing up, and they had to get 25 black long men to come up in the courthouse to protect this guy. And, you know, I could a good example of you remember you saw uh, Malcolm X, how Malcolm X marched those uh, men in front of that jailhouse, and he was told, let this man go. You remember that part? Right, I remember that in the, in the movie. Yeah, and it was just, it's, a, it's a big thing for a, a group of black men. They were armed. You know, black men got guns, and they did this in this community. But they... Didn't like it, and then the lynching spread, and a group of about seven, uh, 75 uh, black armed uh, men returned to the courthouse, and that was met by some 1,500 white people. Then after the next day, a mob of all white men, they descended on Greenville. They started looting the homes, burning down the businesses, shooting down black people on the spot. You know what I'm saying? This was a master coup, Rem Lewis. And basically, I did some research, and it said that this was the first time in America that a black community was bombed. It was physically bombed some kind of way. Somebody threw bombs, Rem Lewis, and burned down these buildings. These buildings basically wasn't put down by just a group of people coming in with, with, with torches in their hands. They had bombs, Reverend Lewis, and they were blowing stuff up. And a couple of months ago, they also found a big site full of mass graves, bodies. And this been over how long ago? That's 1921 and right now. How many years ago have that been? It's been quite a few years, though, Brother Daniel. It's been quite a few years. And then you're going to find think... a big grave of people that, you know what I'm saying, this was, to me, they like it was covered up, you know. Yeah, and, and we know how, we know how what the, we know how the history goes. I tell you what, brother Daniel, we thank you for that information. We're gonna play a short uh, audio of that there to kind of catch us up on what we're going here. And this is uh, uh, to uh, Oklahoma Black Wall Street. To uh, and then we're gonna uh, follow up on that. We, it's a pretty long 
audio clip here, but we're not going to play but a few minutes of it, and then we'll get the gist of it. What? Early 20th century, a black middle-class community called Greenwood thrived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, despite segregation and Jim Crow laws. Booker T. Washington declared Greenwood as a Negro Wall Street of America. But all of Greenwood's achievements and successes were destroyed during a night of murder and mayhem. It was never in the history books or anything, and yet it was the biggest riot that we've ever had in America. As we go in search of history, we'll uncover a little-known event that was one of the worst racial riots in American history, the night Tulsa burned. The Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma, is the center of African-American life for the more than 11,000 black residents of the city. Within this community lie 108 black-owned businesses, two theaters, two black schools, and 15 doctor's offices. In fact, Greenwood is nationally recognized. Booker D. Washington, who came through here en route to Muskogee, when he saw uh, the glitter and glamour and the bustling businesses, he declared Greenwood as a Negro Wall Street of America. And since the Civil Rights Movement updated it to the Black Wall Street of America. Barred from shopping and socializing elsewhere in Tulsa, blacks build a place of their own. Greenwood. We had everything out on Greenwood and the and in the Negro area that you needed. That were drug store, had drug stores, grocery stores, cleaners, hotels. All of that course was destroyed when the riot came. On May 31st, 1921, in what has been described as the worst race riot in American history, Greenwood is destroyed. In less than 24 hours, a white mob reduces Black Wall Street to 36 square blocks of smoldering rubble. Scores of African Americans are killed and thousands are left homeless. White Tulsans not only invaded Black Tulsa, they not only looted homes and businesses, they burned it to the ground. The entire black community, aside from a few outlying areas, was absolutely put to the torch. The devastation of this community means much more than the destruction of its buildings. The residents, the men, women, and children who struggle to create this haven will be forever scarred. Now remember the race riot and how mean people were during the race riot and the relationship between white and black at that time. And I wondered how people could be so mean because of its history, Oklahoma would seem to be one of the last places where such a terrible incident could happen. Beginning in the 1830s, Oklahoma became the home of many minority groups unwanted by the rest of America, a promised land. The lure of Oklahoma in the late 1800s, even in the early 1900s, was clearly um, a better life for African Americans. There was an abundance of land. Everything was new. 
especially when we talk about pre-statehood. Before becoming a state, Oklahoma was part of America's frontier. Throughout the 18th and the 19th century, with all the settlements along the eastern seaboard, the American frontier kept pushing further and further west. And ultimately, it ran into some large, well-organized native groups, the Cherokees, the Creeks, the Seminoles, and others. Wanting the expansion and development of North America to continue unabated, the U.S. government began the forced migration of these Native American groups from the southeastern United States to the newly created Indian Territory, which included most of present-day Oklahoma. This migration took place along the infamous Trail of Tears, an arduous, often deadly journey covering thousands of miles. Accompanying the Native Americans on this journey were many African Americans, most of whom were slaves owned by the Indian tribes. The Native American peoples we were talking about came from the southeastern part of the United States, and they had had 200 years of exposure to plantation society, and many of them were plantation owners themselves, and they brought their slaves with them when they came to Oklahoma. The end of the Civil War would bring freedom to these slaves. It would also see the beginning of the end of Native American dominance in these new lands. At the end of the Civil War, because the Native American tribes were primarily supporters of the Confederacy as a form of punishment, let's say, the Indian Territory was divided into half, and so we wound up with what was famously known as the Twin Territories of Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory. Responding to pressure from white settlers, President Benjamin Harrison opened the Oklahoma Territory to new settlement on April 22, 1889. With this proclamation, the first race was on to stake claims for homesteads on the new frontier. Within 24 hours, 2 million acres were claimed by 50,000 settlers. Among these settlers were blacks, searching for a place where freedom might be more than just a piece of paper. My grandfather was in the Oklahoma land run. His name was David Monroe. My grandfather moved from, from Dalton, Missouri, looking for a better life. Three covered wagons, that's why he moved in. From the beginning of Oklahoma history, modern Oklahoma history, African Americans have always been a part of it. They were cowboys, they were cattle punchers, they were farmers. Uh, they helped build the railroad, they helped build all the cities. By the end of 1890, the black population in the Oklahoma region stood at about 3,000. By 1900, the figure had grown to more than 55,000. Oklahoma was such a place of promise for some African Americans that some even decided to try and see if they could turn Indian Territory into the nation's only, first and only, all-black state. One of these visionaries was a man named Edwin McCabe, who had been the former state auditor of Kansas. Edwin McCabe moved to Oklahoma in 1889 and founded the town of Langston. While McCabe's dream of an all-black state was not achieved, the calls to come to Oklahoma were heeded by many African Americans. As a result, 
27 all-black towns were created in Oklahoma during the years leading up to statehood. When Oklahoma became a state in 1907, there was great rejoicing throughout the state and through the territory, and amongst black Oklahomans as well. But very soon, the racial climate started to change. Hmm. After the Constitutional Congress, after state it was approved, the first bill, the first bill segregated the state. Despite this bill by the new government, blacks remained in Oklahoma, living in both all-black towns and Oklahoma cities. One of those cities was Tulsa. Though begun in the 1830s as a Creek Indian village, Tulsa would remain a sleepy frontier town for decades. Not until 1882, with the arrival of the railroad, would whites live there in large numbers. But the event that truly spurred on the city's dynamic growth was the discovery of the Ida Glen Oil Range in 1905. Once oil was discovered, Tulsa absolutely skyrocketed. There were 1,000 people here in 1900. In 1910, there were 10,000. In 1920, there were 100,000 people here. Boosters called it the magic city because it just showed up overnight. The forest of derricks that sprang up were soon producing more than 2,000 barrels of oil per day. By the time it was admitted to the Union in 1907, Oklahoma led the nation in oil production. The wealth oil generated went mainly to the whites who owned the oil wells. But blacks also benefited as the money trickled down. As Tulsa boomed, black Tulsa boomed too. But the city, like the rest of the state, was also under Jim Crow laws, segregation laws. So while black people could work in jobs throughout town, they couldn't live anywhere in town, nor could they shop anywhere. So as a result, a number of surprising young black entrepreneurs started to create a business district. In 1905, the Greenwood District gets its first business, a grocery store on the corner of Greenwood Avenue and Archer Street. From this humble start, Greenwood soon flourishes into the vital, exciting center of African-American life in Tulsa. By 1921, it is a place of limitless opportunities, both economic and social. At that time, Greenwood had business, business, and business. Everything was happening there. We had the Dreamland Theater. We had drug stores. We had dance halls, pool rooms, shine parlors. That's where everybody just hung out. People go down one side of Greenwood and up the other, and you you could see the fashions and, and it, all of that. During this era, Tulsa is essentially two cities, the black north end and the white south end. And that was segregation days, you know. So we didn't go very far to the south. We just worked over there. That's about all. The, the black people couldn't get anything in Tulsa. Downtown, they couldn't go to the restroom, they couldn't eat. It was entirely.
segregated. But far from stifling African-American economic success, this segregation helps Greenwood grow. I think the success based on segregation has to do with simple economic principles of supply and demand. There's a demand for, for goods. Um, one cannot purchase those goods in, in the larger context of the white community. So there's a, there's a need for black individuals to produce and to supply those goods. Despite the success blacks have in creating their own community, Tulsa is still a white-dominated society. White policemen could come into the community at any point and arrest anyone. Most of the wage earners in Black Tulsa had white bosses. So Black Tulsa, while it boomed and had a measure of independence, was also under the thumb of White Tulsa's political and police authorities. Many African-American communities in the United States were thriving in the 1910s and 20s. But the high level of home ownership in Greenwood made Tulsa's black district distinctive. Now, for some white people, a black person with any wealth, then as well as today, is something that they created jealousy. Racial lessons in Tulsa were poor in the early 1900s. Um, the KKK had a, an enormous presence in Oklahoma um, and in Tulsa particularly. This era would see the racist roots of segregation boil over into numerous armed conflicts throughout the United States. The Tulsa Race Riot of 1921, it really is set against the backdrop of a multitude of race riots in America. Uh, 1919 was known as Red Summer because literally blood was flowing in the streets. There were over 25 major race riots in 1919 um, in America. These riots occur in Minnesota, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere throughout the country. The worst riot during the summer of 1919 is in Chicago, which leaves 38 people dead and 1,000 black families homeless. The important thing to remember about race riots during this period is that they are characterized by whites invading black communities. These are not black communities that are erupting. These are white uh, white citizens, sometimes aided by the police, who are en masse invading black communities, attacking black businesses, and attacking black homes. In 1921, the fires of racial intolerance spread to Tulsa. The person who serves as the spark for Tulsa's riot is Dick Rowland. A 19-year-old black man Roland dropped out of Booker T. Washington High School so he could earn some money shining shoes in downtown Tulsa. While some kids stayed in high school and went ahead and graduated, there was also a great desire by many others to go out and make some money. And you could make money in Tulsa. Even if a boot black could shine an oil man's shoes and might get a tip of a dollar or five dollars. That was incredible money hmm. in 1920, hmm. So to drop out of school was not all that unusual worked downtown, and during that era, the era of the right 1921, there was really only one restroom that was readily accessible to African Americans, and it was on an upper floor of a downtown building called the Drexel Building. The elevator operator at the Drexel Building is a young white woman named Sarah Page. On the morning of May 30th, 1921, as he often did, Dick Rowland went into the Drexel Building got onto the elevator to go and use the restroom. But something happened on the elevator. 
I'm not exactly sure what did, but what probably happened is that as he stepped onto the elevator, he tripped and fell into Sarah Page. To this day, no one knows for certain what happened when those elevator doors closed. But what is known is that shortly after entering the elevator, Dick Rowland was seen running out, leaving behind a screaming Sarah Page. Tuesday, May 31st, 1951. One day after Dick Rowland allegedly assaults Sarah Page on an elevator in downtown Tulsa, the police arrest Rowland and take him to the jail on the top floor of the courthouse. The incident becomes the talk of Tulsa. As the story went around that he had touched her, hit her, knocked her to the ground, and it escalated and became more inflammatory with each telling. Ultimately, things just steamrolled, totally out of control. And, and a large player in all this was the Tulsa Tribune, one of the major papers in town. The Tulsa Tribune ran a story titled, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in Elevator. This inflammatory article strongly implies that Dick Rowland, a black man, had raped the young white elevator operator, Sarah Page. 3.15 p.m. The newspaper hits the streets of Tulsa. Over the next 17 hours, the city will be consumed by a race riot on a scale never before seen in America. Why about Oh, what a, what a story, though, about Tulsa, Oklahoma here, how the destruction of Black Wall Street, how it came about by incident that still today is just unknown. Uh, you know, things like that, it, it touches my heart because as we go through life, you know, we it's mistakes that are being made on both sides of the spectrum that, that affects the whole nation, affects the whole country. And I was listening to the history of uh, Greenwood out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and how it was a thriving black community, and how they had a number of businesses. Uh, the a video said they had 108 businesses. They had two schools. They had 15 doctors, and, that, and it Damn. was just destroyed. It was destroyed. We're going to have to end that, uh, this portion of that, uh, that uh, document because it's so long here, but I just wanted to reflect on what we had heard. I want to thank you, Brother Daniel, for you was hitting on some points there that was brought out in the video, how this young man, about we don't, uh, you know, they said they don't know what happened, but things like that, we'll never know what happened. But it was an excuse, mm-hmm. to, uh, it was an excuse to take the wealth from a community. It was an excuse yeah. to uh, uh, bring about some uh, uh, some, uh, some things that they wanted, you know. People probably wanted to businesses wanted to uh the land or whatever it may be. But just the idea that we was a thriving black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma there. And I've got to thinking that that they said that they couldn't get the uh the resources they need in other parts of the city so they developed their own. Today, today, today we need to still have that mindset. We need to still honor and respect black owned businesses uh, and uh and just cater to our uh, to our our own interest in our own neighborhood. Keep the money in the neighborhood. And you see, they were talking about how Oklahoma was the Indian territory and how black people, they, they migrated to Indians, and even some Indians owned slavery, owned some slaves. But, you know, so, you <laughs> know black history. Uh, well, we, you know, yeah. we really don't really want to see it, but really, they married them, man. They married them, and they didn't even mingle them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We mixed our blood together. 
And it's pretty hard yeah, when you got a kin folks that, are, that that you dealing with, you know, a kin person. You don't really want to disinherit him, but you just put him on the back burner. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, like um, another point they brought up was that, uh, you know, all, the all boom, the all boom in Tulsa. You know, it brought up a, 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 a stigma of wealth. And you know how rich people are, man. They frown down on poor people. And if you had money, you was up. But if you didn't have nothing, you was like uh, dirt and trash. You know what I'm saying? And mostly the white people were, were poor. They were poor farmers. I've been up in Oklahoma, man, and I looked around, and all I saw was a lot of farms and, you know, and all that up there. I said, man, this is kind of this is kind of hicky, man. <laughs> you know, so I wouldn't want to be around in that place too much at nighttime. And I've been through Langston. I've been through Oklahoma City and all of it, all that call those kind of towns. And you look at it, it's nothing but water and lakes and rivers, but it's some farmland up there, too. You know, and it's prosperous land. Excuse me. It's, it's prosperous land. You know, it's wealth. Wealth accumulates either knowledge or ignorance. You know, and I put that, I put that, those two points together. Either you're going to gain wisdom with wealth or you're going to gain uh, ignorance. You know what I'm saying? And through and through them getting money, they got ignorant and they got greedy and jealous. You know, you know and, and when you come up, you see these people coming up. They got big businesses and hotels and lawyers and doctors and they dealing with, they got their own school board. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to have your white teachers come in and deal with us. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. Oh, man, that was so true. That was so true. And, you know, those are some interesting facts that we had learned about that Oklahoma there. And it was And then I didn't realize that, and I'd never been uh, thought about it, that there was uh, 27 all-black towns and stuff throughout the country. That they wanted 27 yeah. as an all-black community. And at one time, they tried to get Oklahoma to be a, a all-black state. Because <laughs> <laughs> the land was probably was so yeah. raw. They didn't nobody want to mess with it because it was harsh and they the Indians in. So this one brother said, hey, let's take it out to a black state. And I said, wow, can you yeah. imagine that? Having an all-black state. Yeah. Brother Dave, we're going to go ahead and, and shift to a black cowboy for right now. Because, uh, you know, we want to follow up on okay. that, uh, that uh, documentary. On Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, that was a powerful documentary. And I encourage everyone to go to YouTube and just listen to the rest of it and see what you can glean off of those things there. But we want to make, uh, mention that, uh, you know, we're just a Black History Month. And so if we're going to shift to our Black Cowboy, I want to start this segment off with the Black Women of the Old West. This is a very short documentary. And then we're going to hear what they had to say. We're going to glean off that. Because Black History is your history and all people's history. We're coming up here in just a minute. Again, you're listening to Blog Talk Radio, free on the inside. Minister Lewis and Brother Richard Dang. I want you to reflect on how good God has been to you and let you think about the history of black people in, the, in your history and let you know that the best is yet to come. God is still up to something. God is going to 
uh, accomplish his perfect will in his life. Of my PowerPoint lecture on black women of the Old West. African American women appear in few textbooks and few Hollywood or TV movies of the Old West, but they were likely to turn up anywhere in American frontier life. Thousands, welcomed by or born among Native American nations, tried to help stave off the march of white manifest destinies. Many were devoted mothers, daughters, or wives, burdened by their labors and often oppressed by bigotry. They were loyal to their families, churches, and communities. Often, young whites gave birth by candlelight in a crude log cabin, prairie shock, or charred house. Under primitive circumstances, many died in the effort. Most led ordinary, hard-working lives in the 19th century, but not all. One drove a stagecoach and delivered the U.S. mail in Cascade, Montana. One sitting in the back seat of the Maryville Compton stagecoach died in a blaze of gunfire during California's first stagecoach robbery. Another in early Seattle helped her husband run a newspaper. In early Texas, another started an impassioned crusade to elevate women and liberate the workers of the world. An African-American woman owned Beverly Hills, California, and another owned huge parcels of Los Angeles real estate. One founded a black town in Oklahoma. Another ran a large carting business in Nevada. And the funeral of another was conducted by the Colorado Pioneers Association and attended by the governor of Colorado and the mayor of Denver. Their presence, however, was ignored when scholars, textbook writers, and movie and television script writers spun their white frontier tales. Black women rarely appeared, even as servants or cooks or maids or nannies. But they were there all over the West. Oh, that was a great segment right there on black women in the uh it was called Tall Black uh yeah, black women of the old west. And guess what? I just realized they said, Hey, a black woman owned Beverly Hill. You know, we always think about Beverly Hill being a rich financial economic, you know, magnet where people go there and they got money and stuff. Do you know that, that part of the land was owned by a black woman? Oh man, that is awesome there. We pray that you learned something from that short video there. We're gonna move on now. Brother Daniel, you still with me? We we have Brother Daniel's on the line right now, so he's uh he'll be with us there Brother. shortly. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear that, that uh, segment on black women in uh in, in America? Yeah, I kind of wonder where that name Beverly came from. <laughs> Beverly Hills, <laughs> you know. But you like everything else, they mask it up, they hide it. You know, when them people are getting black people in control, they find a way out of basically hey, white you know, it out and hide it. And that signal you had about the. Uh, 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 the Long Ranger. You know, I used to grow up listening to Long Ranger, man. I like that song, man. I used to run home every day just to look at that show, man. And I look around, I see this white guy running around with a mask on, and I wonder well, how could he walk around with a mask on like that, and folks wouldn't do nothing to him, you know? Say, but I said, this don't even sound right, really, you know what I'm saying? And then later on, when I got older, I started reading, and I come find out they said that. This man was a black man, but the TV executives of the 1950s didn't want to 
They don't want a, a black man portrayed on TV as being a hero. You know, yep. we all got all kinds of roles back in the days. We had roles of being maids and nannies and tap dancers. You know what I'm saying? And but, so but they man, didn't I want to do another, to be a hero. I, I want to do something else right quick before we get off the air, and then we'll bring you right back okay. here. And then we're going to close it all out right. here. Another uh, episode right. of a Black Cowboy. Oh, man, that's why he, 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 he
I learned yeah, something. So. You know, you don't never stop learning, Reverend Lewis. You know, no, no, you it's such a history thing. Like I'm okay. saying, it's it's a lot of information out there that they it's suppressed. Yes, they have. Yes, sir. but I tell you, we got to get out of here, man. Uh, our time is up, but I want to thank you for being a part of this program again, man. I had a great time there. I have some little old facts that we learned, man, from uh, Greenwood, uh, uh, Oklahoma, man. To uh, that you know that we didn't know yeah. about in there. You know, uh, yesterday, man, I was watching. I was watching TV, man. I saw this guy, and you know, I used to love the, the Gap Band, and I, I found out where that name came from: Greenwood, Archer, and Pine Street. You know what I'm saying? That's what the name Gap Band represents. It's, it's a, they uh, were really dedicating that massacre to their band. You know, uh, uh, Charlie Wilson came and his brother and him came from Tulsa, Oklahoma, when they formed that band. That's awesome. And, uh, that was a dedication that day. We didn't know. I didn't know. You know, you got to yeah. read all the things. You got to read. You got to learn yourself to be approved. You know, the Bible tells you that, too. You got to study to show yourself approved. You got to say so, we got to wrap this up here now. I want to thank you once again. I want to thank our listening audience and we pray that you go back and listen to this show its entirety there on Blog Talk Radio forward slash free on the inside. We'll post it up as soon as possible. Remember black history is your history. As you look uh as you know anything about the Bible, there was black men in the Bible. The Ethiopians, the Assyrians, they all the black races there. Queen Sheba comes out of uh a, a portion of Africa, she knows she was dark skinned. So the Bible is your history. It's not a white man history. It's not a brown man history. It's your history. It's showing how God can use everybody. For black history, it's mm-hmm. your history. We serve a God that's no respect of person. They said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all were dark skinned black without the Middle East there. So we want to be very mindful that God, God, that God like will Esau. use black people <laughs> Accomplish His will, Amen. So, so, so I amen. want you to be mindful. Amen. I want you to be mindful. God is not through with any of us yet, regardless of what things look like in the economy, where uh, presidents and our city officials and elected officers, God is still in charge. And as we think about uh, our background, our life, you know, it's not over with yet. We don't have to go out and just take matters in our own hand. We can go before God and pr- make our prayer request be known, and then get up and do something about it. Go help someone. Be- help someone. Mm-hmm. You know, help a brother, a uh, uh, sister that's uh, that's seen that falling through the crack. Help someone that's in jail, someone that's homeless, someone that that's without a father, someone that's without a mother. Just be able to help someone, and in turn, we'll you can save a life from death and cover a multitude of yeah, sins. Man. Brother Daniel, thank you very much for what you're mm. doing. We're getting ready to close out here with a word of prayer. And we're looking forward to you being on here next week. The Lord allows us that we continue our, our uh, a journey through black history mm-hmm. with little known facts about our black culture. For black history is your history. Amen. Amen. Grace Heavenly Father, thank you in the name of you. Dear Lord, we thank you for what we experienced today. We thank you for our guests. That was all about our studio guests, dear Lord, the men and women that listen to this program, the men and women, dear Lord, that just brought back their remembrance about how they are part of that great plan, that plan of salvation that you have brought about, dear Lord, that plan of of restoring a neighborhood, that plan of restoring a family. Dear Lord, let us be mindful, dear Lord. There's a lot of things for us to do as the the, uh, community in Greenwood's 
Tulsa, Oklahoma, as it was established many years ago, and you do it a mighty thing, dear Lord. Let your word urge still hold power today. Let you be able to do things here in Dallas, forward, and throughout the country, dear Lord. Use ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. Let them be mindful. Let them be mindful that you started this and that you're going to finish it. Dear Lord, we thank you for Brother Daniel being on the line this morning. We thank you for his gifting and his uh, information that he brought to the show, dear Lord. We ask you to watch over him, give him desires of his heart for today, dear Lord, and let him know that you, that he's a friend of yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're Amen. listening to another great episode of Free on the Inside. We're looking forward to being with you again next week. And every opportunity, please, 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 tune in and join us each and every weekend and enjoy. But he did say free on the inside. <laughs> free. I want to be free. Can I tell y'all one more time? One more time. I said he saw the best in me.